Because we're focusing on families in November because in November you're forced to be with families. A lot of times. Thanksgiving forces family interaction. And darn it, so does December. And in January, we're like breathing a sigh of relief, right? Because all the family stress is gone for another year. It's, it's okay if you feel that way. You don't have to admit it out loud. But a lot of us have stressful family dynamics. Is that true? Yeah. I think it's true. Yeah. So today, we're going to talk about one of the more stressful families in the Bible. I have to admit, I originally wanted to do a series on dysfunctional families in the Bible. And I wanted to pick out a few that were especially dysfunctional and preach about why they were dysfunctional and how God can heal that stuff. And then I realized something kind of humorous. They're almost all dysfunctional. Like, I, I, I should do a series called Functional Families in the Bible, and then I'd really have to study, you know? But we are going to talk about a very quasi-dysfunctional family today. So I guess it's not as bad as some, but the interaction between brothers is interesting. Who's heard of Jacob and Esau? Right? Everybody, cool. Lots of people. Today we're going to talk about reconciliation, all right? And, and particularly God's heart for reconciliation. And we're going to talk about it through the lens of this family dynamic. So we're going to go on a journey. I have my real Bible here. I didn't print out these verses because it would take forever because we're going to walk right through five or six chapters in Genesis. And chapters in Genesis are long, long chapters. So I'm going to do my best to just hit the high notes, all right? And kind of get to a point here, God's heart about reconciliation. And then we're going to end with some Jesus, because that's how we do. All right, if you're following along, we start at Genesis 25. We're going to go all the way to Genesis 33. So Genesis 25, 21 through 26 is our first scripture. Now here's the setup, right? God has called Abram, and he said, Hey, random guy from the city of Ur, I'm going to make you a great nation. That's like God showing up to you, James, and being like, for no reason at all, other than the fact that I picked you, James, I'm going to make you a massive people group. You are, they're going to call themselves the Jamesites after you. And I'm going to do this because I want to, James. And you know what? Not only that, but I'm going to bless your socks off, man. I'm going to bless your socks off just because I want to. And not only that, everybody who comes in contact with you is going to be blessed through you. Does that sound good? You'd probably say, yeah, sign me up, right? And as we've mentioned before, Abraham had one kid. So this is getting off to a slow start, okay? Abraham has Isaac. <laughs> and actually, okay, he had... He, had, he cheated. He had two sons. He had a son with somebody that wasn't his wife. But God picks who the covenant promised. That's called a covenant promise, what God promised to Abraham. So that would be a covenant. James, I'm going to make you a great nation and bless you. That's my covenant with you as God. But the son of the illegitimate relationship did not get the covenant blessing. But the son of promise was the son he promised him through his wife. And his name was Isaac. So one legitimate child that carries on the covenant. God shows up and says, yep, Isaac, you're the one. Isaac does a little better. He has two kids. All right? Not exactly a great nation yet, but he gets a wife that he loves very much named Rebecca. But Rebecca is having trouble bearing children. So she prays to the Lord and says, God, what is the problem? Why can't I bear, you know, have children? And they're interceding, and God blesses her, and she gets pregnant. To her dismay... It is a very tumultuous pregnancy. So she actually goes to the Lord because she's having such a hard time. They're fighting in her womb. And this is what she says. 
After Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless, the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? Okay, the NIV is kind of making it seem nice, but she's literally like, what in the world is going on? This is horrible, right? They're literally fighting each other in my womb. So she inquires of the Lord, and the Lord says this. This is key to the whole story. This is the foundation. The two, two nations are in your womb. So the two children in your room are going to be so powerful that they're actually going to be like two nations are, are going to come from the two of them. These aren't normal kids. These are nation begetters, you know? Two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. And then he tells her who the stronger people is going to be. He says, the older child will serve the younger child. So let's pay attention to what God just did here. He said, Rebecca, I'm glad you asked what's going on. I'll tell you. They're fighting because they're always going to be fighting. It's going to be two nations that just have enmity and strife with each other. All right? But one of them is going to be more powerful. It's going to be the one that I give the covenant blessing to. And it's going to be the younger child. In other words, it's not going to be the one that comes out first. It's the second one. Thank you for asking. Now you know for the rest of your life. Right? Mystery solved. And I'm assuming this wasn't a secret, so I think it's safe to assume, and we are assuming, that she wouldn't have kept that a secret. So I think Isaac knew as well, okay? And I think, how do you keep that a secret from your kids? So I think as they grew up, Jacob and Esau probably had a pretty good idea of what God said too. That is my assumption. I admit that, but I kind of think so. Let's move on. They are fighting inside the womb. When it the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys. The first came out, and he was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. That's a hairy, that is a hairy kid. Anyway, then his brother came out, and his brother comes out of the womb, this is kind of weird and gross, with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Now Jacob, lots of people talk about what the name means. But it means like, I think it means heel grabber, or trickster, or one who deceives. Alright? So, they named the first one red because he's red, and the second one comes out literally grabbing his brother's heel. Like, he's taking the fight outside the womb now where they have more room. Are you getting the picture? And they're like, oh, well, heel grabber, schemer. Okay? Interesting thing. Actually, let me make this point, too. Yep. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, the big hairy guy, of course, the manly man, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Everybody say, aw, Jacob. Aw, Jacob. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, so the dad, who likes hunting and wild game, of course he likes Esau, right? But Rebecca likes Jacob. The dynamic here is terrible already. Right. <laughs> My mom's brothers get together every now and then, probably once a year, and there's four of them, and they've had conflict, but at least they can get together and talk about, what do they always talk about? The bad stuff they didn't know right Yeah, the nasty stuff, but to other people, right? It's the, it's the good old days. They get together and they talk about the good old days. Here we have Jacob and Esau, they literally have zero good old days. They started fighting before they were born, they kept fighting after they were born, they're completely different physically, they're completely different in interests. 
and their parents favor different children. Everything in this dynamic is just set for strife and conflict and fighting, okay? They can't even get together later and talk about, oh, remember when we used to really like each other when we were five? Didn't even have that, all right? This is ultimate sibling rivalry. Moving on. Now we're going to start talking about Jacob, the favored son, who God has already said is going to get everything. Jacob, apparently, I'm guessing, knew what God said, and yet he's a heel bearer. He's a schemer. This is a kind of a low-down, dirty dog kind of guy, you get the impression. He's like the white-collar con man of the Old Testament. So Esau is doing his thing, and he's out hunting in the open fields, as the Bible says. And he comes back, and he is famished. I imagine he's probably borderline heat stroke, you know. I mean, the guy's in a rough way. And there's Jacob, who just happens to have this nice big pot of fresh stew. Just happens to have it there. Right? When Esau comes home, and man, it smells good, it looks good. And this is what happens. Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And that's why he was called Red, or Edom, the Bible said. We love that red stew. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. What's the birthright? The birthright in this culture is the oldest son's right to the family inheritance. And you can jump up to Hebrews 12, and I believe it's Hebrews 12, verse 16, that says, because of this exchange, Esau's going to sell him his birthright. Let me just read it to you. Esau says this, Look, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? What a narrow, short-sighted dude. Anyway, so he says, Jacob says, Swear to me first. So he has Esau swear an oath to him, saying that the birthright is Jacob's. And then Jacob slides him over the bowl of nice red stew. Now, Esau is not completely innocent in this. In Hebrews 12, 16, he's called godless because he literally despised his birthright, yeah. right? Technically, it was his. Yes, God said the younger was going to serve the older, but technically, the birthright was still his. Right. And he gave it up for some stew. In the ancient world, a, a verbal agreement like that, an oath, that was legally binding. That was serious stuff. You didn't have to go and get something notarized and all that stuff. Like, that was for real, and both of them knew it. Right. All right? So Jacob gets his first important thing right here. We're going to talk about all the stuff Jacob gets. In this transaction, Jacob gets the birthright. Check. Next, Jacob gets the blessing. Later on, their dad Isaac gets sick. And Isaac thinks he's about to die. I mean, he's not. He lasts like another 30 years or something. But he's convinced, man. Like, the, the darkness is closing in, man. They're coming to take me home and all that stuff. So he says to his son Esau, and this is in chapter 20, 26. Excuse me, this is Genesis chapter 27. He calls Esau, and he says, Esau, I need you to go out into the fields and hunt me some of that game that I like so much. You know that hunting thing you do that's made you my favorite song all these years? Go out and do that. Make me some stew. Apparently he loved the stew too. Come back and let me eat so I can be strengthened. And then I will give you my blessing. Now again, in the ancient culture, the blessing was important. Because blessings and curses were not just words to these people. A curse was viewed as this active agent of destruction that was going to go out and wreak havoc. They viewed curses as having real power. And if you wanted to get away from that, 
you needed to counteract it with a blessing. You know? And they viewed blessings in the same way. This was more than, hey James, just have a blessed day, man. Just have a good day. And what I mean by that is, I hope you, you have a good day. It's nothing more than that. But this type of blessing, the patriarchal blessing of the Father, this was serious stuff. Serious stuff. They viewed it almost as a prophetic prediction. And indeed it was, in all the biblical patriarchs. So Esau's gearing up for this man. He's like, the time has come. I'm going to get my blessing. This is awesome. So he scoots out to the field. And then this happens. Rebecca, the mom who likes who? Jacob. Jacob. Was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully to what I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two goats, so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then you take it to the father and you get his blessing. See, the issue is, Isaac can't see too well. He's going blind. So she thinks, we'll just substitute one son for the other. He gets this powerful blessing, no problem. But Jacob has a problem with this. It's not a moral problem, it's a logistical, tactical problem. <laughs> He's like, Esau's real hairy, Mom, and I'm not hairy at all. How are we going to pull this off? So the mom's like, no problem. Just bring me those goats and I'll take the skins and we'll just put them all over you so that if Esau smells you or touches you, you'll see him just like Esau. And he's like, great plan. This is wonderful. It can't fail. So he does it. Now, he takes the food in and actually Isaac is like, how did you get here so quickly? And he said, the Lord blessed me and brought me the game. That's a huge mistake, by the way. That's taking the name of the Lord in vain. He's implicating the Lord in the ruse. This is bad news. But he's about to get what he wants. He fools Isaac. Isaac doesn't believe it. He's not stupid. He says, your voice sounds like Jacob's, but, oh, your, your hands feel like Esau's. And he's like, give me a kiss on my cheek. So Jacob gives Isaac a kiss, and, and Isaac sneaks a sniff, right? Like, does he smell like Esau? And he smells the goats and the goatskin, and he's like, yes, this is Esau. And then he gives the blessing. <laughs> yep. Jacob brought it to him, the stew, and he ate, and he brought him some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him. And this is what Isaac says to Jacob. Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's riches, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you and be Lord over your brothers. Whoa. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Time out, Isaac. You know what the Lord said when they were, before they were born. The younger was going to serve the older. What are you trying to do? Nevertheless, this isn't a story about if Isaac was trying to subvert the plan of the Lord or not for his favorite son. The fact of the matter is this. Yeah, Esau finds out, but he's just received the blessing. This cannot be retracted. Jacob's got the birthright. Jacob's got the blessing. 
Done. Got it. Did he get it by deceitful means? Yes. But he's got it. Jacob is happy. Isaac is devastated when Esau finally does come back. It says he's so upset he starts shaking. He's like, your brother came by deceit and I blessed him. And Esau starts crying. And he's like, well, can't you bless me too? And he can't. This is the best you can do for Esau. Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Dang. Not a very good prediction. <laughs> so Esau leaves and he says, you know what? My father's about to die. When he dies, in the days of mourning are past for my father, I'm killing Jacob. He is mad. He should be. Lost the birthright, lost the blessing. He's like, I'm going to kill him. Now, his life would be forfeit if he did that. And he doesn't care. That's how upset he is. He's willing to die as long as he gets to kill Jacob. So Rebecca finds out about it and is like, oh my gosh, Esau's going to kill you, Jacob, and then I'll lose both of you in one day because after he kills you, they're going to you know, exact justice on Esau. So I'm going to send you off. We'll, we'll pick a ruse. I want, I'm going to say to Isaac, I want you to go marry someone from our family. So I'm going to send you to my brother Laban's house. Is it his, her brother? Yeah, hold on. Da, 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 da. Your brother Esau is planning to, event, to planning to kill you. Now that my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban and Haran. Yes, her brother. She knows where he lives and says, you, "Say you want a wife from his household, not like these women that Esau married. We don't like them." Okay. So she talks to Isaac and says, "Hey, you know, we really don't want any more Hittite women in the house like Esau married. So I've got an idea. How about we forbid Jacob from marrying women around here and we send him to my brother Laban's house?" And Isaac is like, sounds good to me. So they send him off, just that quick. All right? So now, Jacob, who's got the birthright, and he has the blessing, is on the road. On the road, on the run, from his furious brother Esau, who, by the way, is the big, hairy manly man, and he's like the skinny, pale choir boy who likes to stay in the tent. He should be scared. He's out in the desert, and he has a vision. And God comes to him. God comes to this schemer, Jacob, in the desert and makes good on what he said he was going to do all those years ago. Jacob has a dream, and he sees a stairway going up to heaven. Now, we have to picture something like a ziggurat, actually, all right, with angels going up one side and coming down the other side, and on the very top, he sees Yahweh, he sees God. And God says to this, God says this, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you were lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will bring you back to this land. That's key too. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. It's a big deal that he just got the covenant blessing, got the birthright, got the blessing, got the covenant from God. Yeah. And now God says, I'm going to bring you back here. The plan, the plan was that Rebecca, his mom, was going to send him off to her brother Laban's to hide out. And then as soon as Esau didn't want to kill him anymore, she was going to send him word that he was going to come back. 
So that's his plan. So he hears this and he's like, oh good, I'm coming back home soon. No. <laughs> Change in plans. Because he meets a girl. <laughs> Jacob gets into town, shows up at the well. There's a bunch of shepherds there. And they got a bunch of sheep. And he's like, why aren't you watering your sheep at this well? And the shepherds said, well, gosh, that stone is just too big for us. We have to wait till all the shepherds come and then we can lift it off. And Jacob's like, dude, I'm thirsty. You know, I've been walking through the desert. We can't, like, give this thing a try. I'm sure it's what he was saying. And up comes this girl. Her name is Rachel. And he sees this girl and by himself tosses the stone off the wall. <laughs> and it's like, I got it. I'll take care of this baby. Let me water your sheep too. You know, because she's a shepherd. And whose daughter do you think Rachel is? Gosh, Laban. Laban, his mom's brother. Back in the day, that wasn't as weird as we think it is. So he goes to Laban, finds out he's family. Laban, who's also a dirty, rotten scoundrel, like kisses him, welcomes him into the home, and he makes an agreement. Hey, Laban, I'll work for you for seven years if you just let me marry your daughter, Rachel. All right? He does it. Seven years, no word from mom. Okay? What is he thinking about Esau for seven years? He must be real ticked off at me. If it's been seven years and I'm still not getting word from mom to come back home, she knows where I'm at. But seven years pass. They have a huge wedding feast. Wedding feast lasted about a week back in the day. He gets his wife. They do special married things. And he wakes up in the morning and there is Leah. Leah, Rachel's not so attractive, older sister. <laughs> now, different commentators speculate on. Why? He didn't recognize Leah before, but, you know, I've been to weddings, and I don't think you need to be a rocket scientist to find out some things, you know, that could have maybe inhibited his judgment. Anyway, he's a little mad at Laban, and he's like, what the heck have you done to me, man? You know, like, this isn't Rachel, and, and Laban says, oh, I know, but it's just, it's, it's just not our custom, you know, to give the younger daughter marriage before the older daughter, and he's like, what the heck? I want to marry Rachel. I'll work for you for seven more years if you let me marry Rachel too. So Laban's like, oh, all right, wait a week and we'll have another wedding and you can marry Rachel too. Seriously, this happened. This is like, this isn't Moripovich, this is the Bible. Can you believe that? So a week later, he marries Rachel, works another seven years. Seven more years, that's 14 years. So he's thinking, Esau's got to be real mad. Because mom was supposed to send word to me by now. 14 years, man. But at least I got the birthright, got the blessing, got the covenant, got the girls. Right? Yeah. So now he steps into a new phase in his life. He goes up to Laban, and he says, Hey, man, I've been working for you 14 years. Uh, when do I get to do something for me? So they strike an agreement. And Laban says, I'll tell you what. Actually, let me, let me read this. He says, you know I've worked for you. We're in chapter 30 now, verse 29. Jacob speaking to Laban. You know I've worked for you and how that your livestock has fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? What shall I give you? Laban asked. Laban is a trickster. Jacob for sure knows it by now. So he says, don't give me anything. Like, I don't want anything from you for free. But let's do this. This is in chapter 30. He says, 
any of your goats that are speckled or any of your sheep that are speckled, any of them that are not a pure color, let's just say those are mine, and you can have all of the really good pure-colored ones. Is that a, is that like a good deal? And Laban's like, that is an awesome idea. We should do that. Hey, hold on a minute. I'll be right back. And then Laban goes and talks to his own kids real quick on the double and says, hey, kids, take all the speckled goats and all the speckled sheep, get them together, and take them three days away from here. And they're like, sure, Dad. And they run off. So when Jacob goes out to separate his share of the flock, guess what he finds? Oh, my goodness. Where did all the speckled things go? I know they're out here. Dang. Well, lo and behold, God is with him to bless him, right? Now, he tries to do some tricky stuff and put weird branches in their water troughs, and he has a, a plan, right, for getting his flocks. But later on, we read that he recognizes it's not his own cunning that got him a flock. It was the Lord's blessing. And sure enough, more and more strong speckled sheep and spotted goats and all kinds of weird things start popping up. You know? And he gets a whole bunch of stuff. So much stuff in such a short amount of time that in chapter 31 we read this. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. That's not good. And in verse 2, Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not what it had been. <laughs> because he is making serious bank back in the day. All right? He is now so powerful that Laban's own sons are starting to think nasty thoughts towards him. And look at his life. He's a schemer, right? And yet he's got the birthright. He's got the blessing. He's got the covenant. He's got the girls. And now he's got the livestock. He's getting it all. In fact, we find out he doesn't just have herds of stock animals. He's got camels. He's got donkeys. He's got whole families of servants under his care. It's almost like Yahweh, the God of Abraham and Isaac, is intentionally blessing him and making him a great people against all odds. It's the wildest thing. Because that's exactly what's happening. So, he decides. Now it's been 20 years. No word from mom. This grudge match between me and my brother. I mean, it was just a little thing, right? I just stole the blessing. Just stole the birthright. Everything he hoped for his entire life. Like, I mean, does a guy really stay mad for 20 years about something like that? And yet, mom's not saying anything. No words coming. And now I'm with these people there. I'm kind of thinking they might kill me. Kind of thinking I might end up in a ditch somewhere if I stay where I'm at. So he talks to his wives out in the field. Says, hey, wives, got a plan. Let's run. And they're like, we're in. So with no warning, he packs up his stuff and he hightails it out of town, so to speak. Probably wasn't a town. They were probably just in camp somewhere out in the wilderness because they rode with their herds. But he books it away from Laban with everything he's got. Laban finds out about it and tracks him down. Three days it takes Laban to catch up with them and they have this confrontation in the desert. It's pretty tense. And all the gloves come off. 20 years of hidden tensions blow up. And Laban is like, Laban actually was warned in a dream by God, do not touch Jacob. Don't say anything good or bad. Leave him alone. Or else he was going to off him right there in the desert, man. So he, he's furious. He comes up to Jacob and he's like, your God told me not to say anything good or bad to you. So I'm not. Like, well, that's kind of 
kind of bad, actually. Kind of just, I see what you did there, Laban. <laughs> and Laban tells me, he's like, everything you have is mine. That was Laban's attitude the whole time. This is a schmuck, man. You know? But at least he's dealing with Jacob, who is no better. Come on. Right? So they decide to part ways. And now God has sent him back to his homeland. God shows up and says, it's time for you to go back home. It's time for you to journey back to the land of your father. One small problem that I don't think would have avoided Jacob's notice. He has not heard from mom. He doesn't want to go back there because there's this real big, real angry guy who's a little mad about Jacob ruining his entire future and future lineage. Just a small thing, but this guy's real ticked off. Nevertheless, God sends him on a crash course right back to his number one fear, Esau. Now we get to read about what happens. Jacob gets ready. He's in the vicinity that he knows Esau is. 20 years, no contact. So he sends messengers out to give Esau a message. Okay? This is in Genesis chapter 32. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, in the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my lord Esau. <laughs> He's already posturing himself, like, don't kill me. This is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant, Jacob, says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there until now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants, and your birthright. He didn't say that. Male and female servants. And now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. So he's, he's softening up, you know, his arrival, right? The messengers come back and say this. We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you with 400 men. It doesn't say that Jacob wet himself. <laughs> that's, that's not spelled. It might be in the Hebrew. I'll ask. But it does say this. He was greatly afraid. <laughs> he was greatly afraid. This is the first recorded prayer. Jacob has a if you then I kind of statement to God earlier. But here's his first prayer after he hears about this. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, then the group that is left might escape. Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan River, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. So he begs God. He's like, I'm terrified. All I've got to go on. I'm unworthy, man. He's like, I am a low-down, dirty dog, and I have that my whole life. But God, you said you said you'd bring me back here. That's all I've got to go on. Please save me. That's his prayer. And he sends the two camps across, and he stays there by himself all night, presumably to pray. 
There's an interesting story here. We're going to skip it, but go back and read it at the end of 32. God shows up and takes the fight to Jacob. God shows up in a physical form and fights with Jacob. And he shows up in a form that Jacob can actually defeat. And then he gives Jacob a new name. And he calls him Israel instead of Jacob. And he's like, you're not Jacob anymore. You're Israel. Because you fought with men and with God and prevailed. But he doesn't let him see his face. He fights him at night. So this low-down, dirty dog, who's taken the Lord's name in vain, implicated Yahweh himself in his own trickery, stolen everything he ever got, is, is blessed by God and gets his name changed. But God doesn't let him see his face. This unworthy scoundrel. So the next day, the big showdown happens. I'm going to read this whole section. Jacob leaves limping. God touched his hip and wrenched his hip out of socket. It was the only way to get Jacob to let go. So he crosses over to his people. 33 verse 1. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau, coming with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and the children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran, <laughs> Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and the children, and he says, Who are these with you? And Jacob answered, These are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached, and they also bowed down to Esau. Next, Leah and her children, and next, Rachel. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, What is the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? Because he's been sending the flocks and herds ahead of him. And he says to the servants, Tell Esau these are his. Tell them they're all his. So that when he finally meets me, he won't be so mad. Esau says, What's the meaning of all this? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, Jacob said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. He was unable to see the face of God when he wrestled at night. But God took him back and reconciled himself, even though he didn't deserve it. Esau has done the same thing. And he's like, at least I get to see you. At least I get to see you. So when he insisted, Esau accepted it. Jacob got the birthright. Jacob got the blessing. Jacob got the covenant. Jacob got the girls. Jacob got the herds. Jacob got it all. Why did God send him on a crash course right back to be reconciled with his brother? Esau was rich too. Neither of them needed anything from the other one. Mm -hmm. There is no more record of a warm friendship between Jacob and Esau. It's not recorded that great things happened because of this encounter and this weeping and this forgiveness. And this encounter of reconciliation did not avert the conflict and the enmity that was inevitable between their two people groups. So why did God do it? 
to God, the reconciliation of the family is a worthy end in itself. And no other reason is necessary. It is the heart of God to see reconciliation, regardless of whether one needs something from the other or not. Where else do we see imagery of someone running to embrace and weep on someone who is coming home proud of his son? This is a picture, a weird one, because it's Esau who plays the role of God in this picture. And we come, the low-down, dirty gods who have done nothing but run his name through the mud and act like we didn't need him and offer if-then statements and live our lives like we don't give him a second thought, but gosh, we're glad you're blessing us. And then one day we realize exactly who we are and exactly what we've done. And in shame we come, often, right? And we bow down as if we're unworthy and we send gifts. And he's more interested in to us. I'm sorry. I cry. It happens for crying out loud. <laughs> happened to me, and I'm willing to bet it happened to most of the people in this room who know him. He ran to you. Jesus expressed this heart in Matthew so well in the New Testament. Jesus came to reconcile the whole world to himself, and I am here to tell you the honest to God truth. Jesus does not need you. God does not need you. God has everything he needs just fine. He doesn't need a birthright, a blessing, girls, flocks, herds, or your nod of approval. And yet he came to reconcile because to the heart of God, reconciliation is a worthy end in and of itself. And in Matthew 23, when Jesus is at his angriest and he's telling off the scribes and the Pharisees and Everybody who's done everything wrong and he's calling people broods of vipers and snakes and he's telling, how are you going to avoid the condemnation to hell because of the things that you've done? He's furious. He's going off. He says this in 23:32-37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who, who are sent to you. And you think he's going to say another nasty word or another curse, but instead he says this, how often... I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and yet you are not willing. Even angry, the heart of God is to reconcile and to draw near. Let's bow our heads. Father God, we are as unworthy at least as Jacob. All of us have been guilty of trickery and treachery scheming, things that we just as soon forget. Lord, there are Esau's all over that have grudges. Lord, we are not ignorant of the fact that some people would not treat us well if they caught us or found us or saw us. And yet, you want to reconcile us to you. God, we accept your forgiveness today. If you need that, say, Lord, I accept your forgiveness for what I've been and what I've done. God, I need your grace. Only you, only you can run up to me, embrace me, and make it right. Jesus, I accept your sacrifice on the cross. I accept that you died to pay the price for my sins. And I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Today, I will become your son and your daughter. You are my Lord, and you are my Savior. 
Thank you for reconciling me to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, thank you very much.